All right, take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 1, or if you have a journal, you can go to page 8 in that journal, okay? This has the entire book of John in it. John 1. We're going to be starting in verse 19 in just a bit. Now, last week we began a brand new series in the book of John called The Story of Jesus. And what we saw last time was that the story of Jesus began with a portrait of Jesus, a theologically rich, very compelling portrait. We saw that Jesus is the Word, capital W, right? The Word, not just a philosophical concept or idea, but a person. Jesus, who is in very essence God, who was central to all of creation, right? Everything that's created was created through Jesus. And this Jesus became flesh, what we are, like what we're made out of, so that we could receive what God has and what we desperately need, which is grace. Jesus is the true light which dispels the darkness in our heart and makes us children of God. Now, when we see Jesus for who he really is, which we saw last week, we stand at a crossroads. We come to a point where we, we need to make a decision. Will we follow this Jesus? And if we do, what does that mean for our life? What does it look like to follow Jesus, to be a disciple? What we're going to see this morning is we're going to have the opportunity to see the very first followers of Jesus, the very first ones. And what we discover is that following Jesus changes our life. We will never be the same. So let's read John 1, and starting at verse 19, we're going to read through uh, verse 34 for now, so follow along here. Now, as I read, I want you to remember that the, the John that's writing this, the, the book that it's named after, that John is the disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus with those 12 disciples. But in this passage, when he's writing and he says John, he's talking about John the Baptist. That might help you a little bit to understand what's going on here. John the Baptist is who's being spoken of. So John 1, verse 19 and following. Here's what God's word says. And this is the testimony of John, that's the Baptist, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. 
I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus is introduced to the world through this man called John the Baptist. Now, a couple things that we know about John the Baptist from here and from other, uh, you know, from the other gospel writers. One, he is either a relative of Jesus or the families are so close that they're considered relatives. And Mark tells us in his gospel that John the Baptist pretty much lived in the wilderness. He wore clothing made from camel's hair and leather He ate locusts and honey. He was a different kind of guy. People knew John the Baptist. He stood out. John's message was primarily one of repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He also said, repent for the forgiveness of sins. John is the one that the Old Testament spoke of who would prepare the way for Jesus. John went around baptizing people in water who repented. Now, it was normal in that day for Gentiles to be baptized if they were becoming Jewish or living according to the way Yahweh wanted them to live. That was common, but it was not common for Jews to be baptized. John is baptizing anyone who repents. He baptizes both Jews and Gentiles, so people are starting to wonder what is going on here. Last thing about John the baptizer, we know that his bold message will one day get him killed by King Herod. But for now... He's doing what God has him to do. That is prepare the way and introduce Jesus. And as John the Baptist introduces Jesus to the world, what we see is people respond. First John and then others start to see Jesus. They start to understand who he is. And what we have here is the very first disciples of Jesus. And that's what I wanna focus on this morning. What does the call of discipleship look like? If you decide to follow Jesus, what does that now look like and what can you expect? Call of discipleship means three things. It's a call to, number one, yield to Jesus, number two, follow Jesus, and number three, bring others to Jesus. So let's start with yield to Jesus. And when I say yield to Jesus, what I primarily mean is recognizing Jesus as Lord, Recognizing that I'm not in charge, Jesus is in charge, and then surrendering, surrendering our life to him, yielding to him. John the Baptist is possibly the best example that we have of yielding to Jesus. And from the very first verses, John defers to Jesus. He, he doesn't even want to steal a smidgen of glory. He points to Jesus. He realizes that he is here to highlight the Messiah who he now realizes is Jesus, his relative. Now, John had gained some popularity. He has a following. He has disciples, people that follow him around. For better or worse, he's known around town. And in this moment, he had this other person who he recognized is more important than him. And when the the Levites and the priests come and say, hey, are you somebody important? He basically says, nope, but I know somebody who is. That's his response to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders. John understood something that we all need to understand, and that's there's only one Savior, and I'm not him. There's only one Jesus, and I'm not him. There's only one Messiah, and I'm not him. 
We all have a part to play in God's mission of making disciples, but there's only one main character. It's Jesus. And John is such a good example for especially for pastors or anyone who has more public ministry. The only reason that we're given a platform is to point to Jesus. We can't forget that. Like John, we need to remember there's only one Savior. I'm not him. So when he's pressed to reveal who he is, he he quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says, you know, I am preparing the way of the Lord. He recognizes that it's not about him. And the religious leaders are all caught up with who are you, John? Who are you? And he kind of dodges and weaves and he says, it's not about me. Here's who I am, but that's not important. Here's who you need to be concerned about. As I read, it was like like he was saying, you know, I thought about this. It's like he's saying, you might want to concern yourself with another. (laughs) Someone who's actually not very far away. In fact, he's standing in your midst. Now, we don't know if he was literally in the crowd that day, but he's close to them. He's very close. They're close but they're not there yet. It's kind of like that game you play when you're a kid where you walk around and, and somebody says, you're getting colder. Nope, you're, you're getting warmer. You're getting, you're getting so hot, you're burning up, you know? And they're, they're close. <laughs> they're, they're almost there, but they're off because it's not John. John's just there to point to Jesus. And they're gonna be introduced to Jesus very, very soon. What I find interesting is that when we read the other gospels, what we see is John the Baptist does not have it all figured out yet. Later, he's going to send messengers. He's going to ask some questions about Jesus. Like, Jesus, are you really the one that we were waiting for? He, he has some doubts along the way, but here's what we see about John, and this is really important. As he does see Jesus for who he is, he always submits to his authority. He always recognizes him for who he is. So he says, you're the son of God. He says, you are the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And so he yields to him. I want to read a few more verses and just continue to see John's attitude, his submission. So verse 35 uh, through 37, follow along there as I, as I read. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now it struck me as I studied how significant this is. John is content to lose his disciples to Jesus. These are people that have been following him. This is his posse, his gang, and they just follow Jesus. Now, the reason they follow Jesus is because he's been pointing to Jesus. <laughs> he's saying it's, it's about him. But the fact that he's just okay with that shows his spirit of humility. It shows that he knows the spotlight is to be on Jesus. He'll say later in, in John 3, John the Baptist says, he must increase Jesus but I must decrease. I'm, I'm, I must decrease. And I'm so impressed with the humility of John. Probably why Jesus calls him the greatest man that's ever lived, right? He, he's so humble. He's like, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandal. And that's a job that only the Gentile slave would do, not even a Jewish servant. And he says, I can't even do that. Like, I'm not even that worthy. What if we all embrace the idea that it's not about us, that it's about Jesus, that we're not worthy, but he's made us worthy? What if we realize it's not about how many followers we have on social or how popular we are, even about our legacy, as much as it's about highlighting 
Jesus and showing people that it's all about him. If that's our legacy, people know we were about Jesus. Well, now we're on the right track. And I want to encourage you, if you don't think you're the right kind of person to make disciples, you know, you hear us talk about disciples who make disciples, and you're like, but you know, I'm just really not that kind of person. Like, people are not drawn to me. I don't have the right personality. It's not about your personality, and it's not about people being drawn to you unless they see Jesus. John the Baptist is a different kind of character, and he is highlighting Jesus, and God is using him to make disciples. So if you're here and you're like, this is a great concept, but I just don't think I'm that kind of person, think again, because really all you have to do is point to Jesus. Our whole goal here at Local Church St. Pete is to get people to love Jesus, it is not our main goal to get them to love us as leaders or this church even, but to love Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's what we're trying to do. And this brings us to a, another simple but profound truth. The call of discipleship is a call to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. So we yield to Jesus and we follow Jesus. I'm gonna read on John 1 verse 37. So if you, let's pick it up in 37 again and we'll read to the end of the chapter. So, Notice what God's word says here in John 1, 37. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. They, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here, what we've just read is the very beginnings of a movement, the origins of Christianity, the, the first embers and sparks which will be fanned into flame. We could read about it in the book of Acts and then in the, in the gospel, like a roaring fire goes around the world and here we are today. But it starts really small. It starts with a few people who were compelled by Jesus enough to follow him. Discipleship can seem like a, a difficult concept to grasp. Like, what does it even mean? What is discipleship? 
What is a disciple? Maybe it's because we use the word so freely, so generically sometimes in Christianity. Uh, one church I served at, I had a, a friend who was, a, his title was discipleship pastor. And we would chuckle because it sounds like a great job, except what he ended up doing was what most of the other people didn't want to do. And so we were like, man, it doesn't seem like discipleship. <laughs> but uh, what does it mean? If I say the word discipleship or you hear the word disciple, what is it in its meaning? Intrinsically, at its core, really what it means to be a disciple is simply one who follows Jesus. Somebody who walks in the way of Jesus, a follower. The word follow is, u- follow is used uh, verse 37, 38, 40, 43. And really this, this means to go after, to accompany, to obey. And, and in kind of, we'll talk about this in a second, it's like the idea of an apprentice who is following, copying, watching to learn how Jesus lives and live like that, to go the places Jesus would go, to interact with people the way Jesus would interact with people, to make our lives about what Jesus' life is all about, to love what Jesus loves, to hate what Jesus hates. And with these first disciples, what we see is they literally follow Jesus. This wasn't just like a metaphorical thing. Yes, I'm a Jesus follower. They were actually following him physically. <laughs> they asked Jesus, where are you staying? I want to go there and, and, and I want to do what you do and I want to see you. I want to understand you. Now, this is different than just learning about Jesus. Being a disciple, following Jesus is different than just learning about Jesus. There are plenty of people that we read about in the Gospels who approach Jesus and they ask some questions but they fail to follow. The first one that comes to my mind is the rich young ruler who asks Jesus what he needs to do and Jesus explains it to him and and unfortunately, sadly, he walks away and cannot follow Jesus. Or we have the Pharisees who are always asking Jesus questions to try to stump him usually. They don't follow Jesus. Even Nicodemus, he contemplates in John 3 who Jesus is and we find out more later but The point is there's a difference between learning about Jesus, investigating, and actually following Jesus. Being a disciple is actually different than learning about Jesus. The first disciple is they follow Jesus to get to know him and who he is. And I love Jesus' response here. He he says to them, um, you know, they follow after him and, and they ask where he's staying and he says, come and see. Come and you will see. And that's it right there. That's the first step is come and see. First step of discipleship. And maybe this morning you find yourself on the brink of following Jesus. You've investigated this Jesus for a while. Maybe this is your very first Sunday here. Maybe you've been here for a while attending with us and being part of our gatherings. But you've been investigating. You've considered Jesus. You've learned a lot about Jesus. But you're on the cusp. You're on the brink of following him, the only way to know Jesus for yourself is to come and see and to actually spend time with Jesus and understand who he is. Now, when these first disciples come and see, what do they see? Who do they find Jesus to be? Like, what is he about? And we have a special um, section of of John here in, in these verses this morning because what we're given is seven titles of Jesus. And I don't know if you picked up the different descriptions or titles of Jesus, but I'll run through them with you 
And uh, just quickly, I'm not gonna say much about them, but in verse 29, John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Verse 34, he also says that you are the Son of God or elect one of God, some of your translations say. Verse 38, he's called rabbi or teacher is what it means. That's, Andrew says that. In verse 41, Andrew says that you're the Messiah or Christ or anointed one. Remember, the Holy Spirit, John says, descended and stayed on Jesus, remained on him. He's the anointed one. Verse 49, the son of God, Nathaniel says. Verse 49, also, the king of Israel, Nathaniel says that. In verse 51, Jesus himself refers to himself as the son of man, which is probably his most favorite description of himself, and there's reasons for that, but the son of man. So, okay, if we take all those titles together, we mash it up, and we get a description of who Jesus is. Here it is. I'll say it twice because it's a lot. The fully human Jesus from Nazareth is the messianic king and teacher of Israel and the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. All right. The fully human Jesus from Nazareth is the messianic king and teacher of Israel and the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. And when we spend time with Jesus, that is who we find him to be. That's who he says he is, and that's indeed who Jesus is. Last week's text in John 1, 1 through 18 was a masterclass in who Jesus is, right? And I so appreciate us being able to go through that and, and just learn about the beauty of who Jesus is. And when we follow Jesus and we spend time with him, what we find is that who he is changes us. Who he is shapes us. Again, it's the idea of an apprentice who is shadowing someone. So we are shadowing Jesus. And as we shadow Jesus, we learn to do what he would do and act how he would act. But even more than that, who he is starts to shape who we are. And, and, and our shape actually changes. For some people, Jesus remains a concept. Maybe a concept that they spend a lot of time exploring, but not a person that they're following. I have a good friend that I grew up with. His name is Ray, and from kindergarten through seminary. So that's a while. <laughs> and, uh, you know, went, went to Bible college together. We're roommates. That was a mistake. We did kind of walked through life together and uh, explored theology, Jesus, all that stuff. And then in, in uh, about that college age, uh, one day he said, I, I, I'm not a Christian anymore. And to this day, 20 plus years, he's not a follower of Christ. And it's really hard for me to understand, you know, because I knew him well. I, I don't talk to him as much anymore. But it seems that you could spend year after year after year studying Jesus at a theological level, like at a seminary level, and yet not actually follow him. Not actually submit your, your life to him in the, in the way that you would submit all of you and say, God, you can, Jesus, you can have my whole life. And I just wonder this morning, is there any chance that for you, Jesus remains a concept? One that you studied, one that you think you understand, but, but not a person that you follow. Are you an apprentice of Jesus? And if that's not the case, make today the day where you lay it all down and you say, Jesus, I'm following you with my life. Not just my brain, but I, my, my life, you can have it all. And I don't know what that means exactly, and I'm a little scared, but you can have it. I'm gonna follow you. I'm going to be your apprentice. 
So at the essence of discipleship is yielding to Jesus and following Jesus. Lastly, the call of discipleship is a call to bring others to Jesus. And I, I love this last like half of the chapter and the way that Andrew and Philip have just encountered Jesus, right? They just encountered him and already they're sharing this discovery with those that they know and those that they care about. D.A. Carson said it this way. He said, as Andrew brought Simon Peter and perhaps Philip to Jesus, so Philip found Nathanael and witnessed to him. That has been the foundational principle of truly Christian, uh, truly Christian expansion ever since. New followers of Jesus bear witness of him to others who in turn become disciples and repeat the process. Amen. <laughs> Another way of saying it is disciples who make disciples. And this is God's blueprint for making disciples and it is by far the most effective way and at the risk of being considered obsessive, and we're not even ashamed of that, okay, of being obsessive about trying to follow in the way of Jesus and do things the way he did them. His original template here of disciple-making is disciples who make disciples. And they don't have it all figured out yet. They don't have a theological degree. They're gonna get one, you know, under Jesus, but they, they just know, I met Jesus, I found him, and you need to know this person. You need to know Jesus. And I love the fact that they just, like a good apprentice, they copy Jesus' method. They were like, what did Jesus say? He said, come and see. So they say, hey, come and see. <laughs> and that's what they do. And I want you to understand this uh, this morning. It is not our job to convince people to follow Jesus. We just need them to encounter Jesus. We need them to come and see Jesus. And we, we'll persuade, right? And we want to share our heart. We want to say, like, I... I you need, to, you need to follow Jesus. But it's not our job to have to convince them or prove it to them. We are called to bring them to encounter Jesus, see Jesus for who he is, and know for themselves. And God does the rest. God does everything. God, God works in their heart through the Spirit. Which begs the question in 2022, how can people encounter Jesus? We can't just say, hey, join me at Vinoy Park. Jesus is gonna be teaching from a boat you know, would be awesome. Not possible, right? Because Jesus, you know, he came, he lived, he died, he resurrected, and he ascended to heaven, and he sent us to be his ambassadors, to be his body on earth. So, so we can't bring somebody into the presence of physical Jesus. So how does somebody encounter Jesus? That's a good question, right? It's like, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Mark, but what do we do? Well, we have a couple things. The word of God and the people of God. The word of God is absolutely central to this. God has given us this written revelation of his word. And just as Jesus is the word incarnate, or incarnated, right, enfleshed, we have in our hands the word inscripturated. God has given us scripture, the word, capital W. And when we th read through this word, this Bible, we're reading the very words of God. So, so if you're to sit down with somebody and read the Bible with them, maybe it's a one-to-one -one that you're reading through a gospel with somebody, or it's a discipleship group where you're reading the scriptures, this is not just a book club. Book clubs are great. This is actually something different because the word is alive. The word is divinely inspired. And when you read the word, God meets with you. He speaks to you and he changes us. So one of the ways that we help people encounter Jesus is by bringing them to the word 
and reading it together, sharing scripture with people, we ourselves taking in the word of God, and then something supernatural can happen. In addition to the word of God, God can be experienced in the people of God. We as Christ's followers, we have the presence of God with us, in us, and we represent to the world Jesus. And hopefully this gathering right here is a time in which Jesus is seen. Jesus is magnified and held up high where we celebrate what he's done and who he is. And may God show people Jesus here. Us together, loving one another, forgiving one another, living in unity together. This is a time when people can experience Jesus. The second half of John 1 is really a great reminder of of what it's all about. What what our driving ambition should be as disciple makers. Our goal is to help people find Jesus. And that word find or found in the text, you'll see it uh, numerous times. Verse 41, Andrew found Peter. I mean, he was his brother, so he knew where he was. But he found Peter, and then he tells him this. He says, we have found the Messiah. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and tells him, we have found the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. Like everything we've studied as Jewish boys, like we found the the, the person that this is about. And that word found uh, is where we get the word eureka from, right? Eureka, we found him. <laughs> it's this, 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 this excitement, right? We found him. And it reminds me of Jesus' words when he tells his disciples, I will make you fishers of men. You'll be fishermen, but you'll be finding people. And just yesterday, I was talking to Trevor about spearfishing, which I'm pretty sure I'll never do because it's so scary. But anyway, he was talking about different fin tunas and how hard some of them can be to find because they're just rare, you know? And, uh, you know, he gets a little excitement, a little light in his eye when he talks about this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, that's great. Um, but, but, you know, with fishing, you're, you're finding the fish. And when Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to find people, this is what he's talking about. They found this person. And then they said, we've found Jesus. That's what Jesus is, 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 is calling us to do. Now, you might say, yeah, that scares me. Like, finding people, don't really want to do that. Um, can't you do that, Pastor? Like, I don't know if I want to go, go find people and go, go tell them about Jesus and, and tell them that I found Jesus. And here's the great news. It's not all on you. It's not all on me. Jesus is the one who's doing the work of finding people. And what we're called to do is simply point to him and bring people to Jesus. Verse 43, did you see that Jesus found Philip, it says? And verse 48, Nathaniel is surprised because he's never met Jesus before, but Jesus knows him already. He's like, how do you know me? And Jesus says, you know, before you were called, I saw you under the fig tree. I, I, I know you. The point is, before Nathaniel was ever called by Philip, he was called by God, and, and God was working, and God was bringing him to himself. So you can know, brother or sister, when you go share with somebody about Jesus, God's already doing a work, and he's the one who's going to convince, and he's the one who finds, and he's the one who saves. Remember, there's only one Savior. It's not us. We're pointing to Jesus. Basically, we're holding up a sign that says, come and see. Come and see who this is. It reminds me of that progressive sign commercial. The one guy is holding the sign, and the other guy's doing all these cool tricks and twirls, and 
and I love the little kid who's like, I can't read it, and you know, and it, anyway, you have to see it. But the point is, he, de- he, doesn't need, he doesn't need all the cool flips and tricks. He's just saying, people need to read the sign. And with us and, and sharing about Jesus, it's not about how cool or amazing your, your abilities are. It's about simply and clearly showing people Jesus and saying it's about him. He, if we can clearly paint that portrait of Jesus by using his word, then we have been faithful. We've done what God calls us to do. Jesus is the answer for all people, every person. You've never met a person. There is no person on the globe that does not need Jesus, even if they don't realize it yet. We all, every human longs for beauty. We all long for somebody to come make this world right. We all long for for somebody who would know us completely and yet still love us truly. In other words, we all long for Jesus. Every person longs for Jesus. And if you're listening to me this morning and what I just said resonates with you, but you're not positive that the answer is Jesus yet, I just want to encourage you. Keep reading through your journal. Keep reading through the book of John. Keep gathering with us because what we have the privilege of doing is walking through the story of Jesus. And you're right at the beginning of it, so it's a great time. So just keep keep for yourself reading. Come and see for yourself. And then you see who Jesus is. And you decide. Well, I've been studying this week, I I was struck with how Jesus is described in John 1 and how that picture of Jesus appeals to every person, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter the background. I mean, last week we saw the logos or the logos. And and Jesus is this, I mean, the, the Gentile philosopher who understood the concept of logos would have been drawn to Jesus. But then we also see in chapter one so much that would have resonated with the Jewish individual. And Jesus' first disciples are Jews. And so he, he says, basically, you know, Jesus is shown um, to, to be connected to creation, right? Like the, the, this, the word. Jesus is the tabernacle who dwells with God's people. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law given to Moses. He is who the prophets, Elijah and Isaiah, spoke about. He's the Passover lamb. He's the rabbi. He's the Messiah. He's the king of Israel. He's the son of man who Daniel talked about. And he's the ladder that Jacob dreamed about. The last couple of verses we read talk about the son of man, the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And that's a a reference back to Jacob and the ladder and the dream he had. So, So the Jewish person would have been drawn to this Jesus. He's the fulfillment of all of this stuff. And yet with all of this appeal to the Jewish reader, Jesus is not presented as the lamb who takes away the sin of Israel. Do you see what it says? He's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Right? The world, all people, no matter what their background, wherever they come from, Jesus can take away your sin because he died for the world. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was inherently Jewish, but Jesus is a sacrifice for everyone, for all people. Jesus is a lamb given for you. 
Now we have this really cool stained glass window behind me. It's mostly covered by the screen unless you're one of the lucky ones in the very front. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna like raise it so you can see it, all right? So. But this uh, depiction you'll see in churches sometimes. A lot of times it's referred to as Agnes Day, but the idea is the verse that we read this morning, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So I wanna read to you a verse from Revelation 5 that talks about this lamb, all right? Revelation 5, verse 11 says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've been investigating Jesus, I just want to encourage you to come and see. Come see who this Lamb of God is. Look to his word. See him for who he really is. Spend time in the Bible. Take your journal and pour through the words in the book of John. Come and see for yourself who Jesus is. What would it be like to be his follower to be a disciple, it means yielding to Jesus. It means following Jesus. And it means bringing others to Jesus. And if you're already a disciple of Jesus, are you living as his apprentice? Are you walking in his ways? Have you strayed from the simplicity that you once had? Yield to him, follow him, bring others to him. Are you reading the Bible with anyone? Again, if we're gonna encounter Jesus and bring people to Jesus, let's read the Bible with people. Maybe you could have a one-on-one where you read through a gospel with somebody. If, if every person who follows Jesus in this room or joining us online would commit this year to finding one person to read through the Bible with, think about what God will do. He will continue to have sparks of that movement and we'll see people know Jesus. Discipleship really can be that simple, and yet it takes courage and it takes faith. So ask God to give you that courage and faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is beautiful to see Jesus for who he is. And God, I just pray that as we see that portrait of Jesus throughout this series, that God, we would be changed. That those who've been investigating would, would cross that line and follow and, and lay down their life and lay down their ambitions and, and, and all the things they struggle with. And even if they're scared, say, Jesus, you're, you're real. You're the son of God and I'm committing to following you. I pray for those who've already decided to follow Jesus and are actively seeking to pursue him. God, give us that simplicity of being your apprentice. May we not get away from that. May we not make it about something else, but it needs to be about Jesus, and I pray that that would be true for each Christ follower. And God, would you use us to bring others to Jesus? Would we be bold enough to pray the prayer, Father, show me somebody that I can bring to Jesus? And when we find those people, Lord, may we tell them we have found Jesus. It's his name we pray, amen.